Praise God. Praise God. Would you put that um, that PowerPoint on, please, Judy? When you sing a song like that, after we've sung that song, Heaven Come Down, you know, <laughs> break our walls down, heaven come down, and you realize that you have access to the place where God will do what you say. I mean, that's what happened in Matthew 28. It says, and they went everywhere and preached the gospel, the Lord confirming, or is it Mark 16? The Lord confirming the word with signs following. Where is the church of the book of Acts? Where's the book, where's the church of the Acts of the Apostles? I want to tell you that it's a new season. I want to tell you that the time that we've been living on old manna or old revelation is over. It's like much of the ministry that I've heard in the last 30 years has become more and more the sound of an echo of revelations in the 80s. And it's time for the Lord to release something which is going to change our future because the Lord wants to restore our future to be what he wants it to be. I think you can turn the monitors off, Pete. Yeah, just get in the EQ, right? Hmm? You just get in the EQ right. Okay. So, I want to hear from you just by you lifting your hand and saying amen. Are you one of those people that in the prophetic ministry want to be a person that hears the Lord and obeys and you let him use you for what he wants for the end time church? Just you lift your hand and say amen. amen. So I'm talking to the right people. I'm talking to the right people. As prophetic ministries, we've sharpened our skills of hearing God and speaking the word. And we've had a, a development of our ability to hear words for other people, words for situations, words for leaders, words for nations, words for governments. And I think that's a valuable contribution that the prophetic ministry has been able to make. But I want to tell you that there is a word which must restore our future as ministries for the end time church. Especially if we're going to be participants in the Lord building the foundation and building the glorious church. Yeah. We're going to look at that just now. I want to ask you if you can remember how Daniel saw the word in his day that would restore the nation. He saw it in the scrolls of Jeremiah the prophet. Can you remember that John the Baptist, he was the one that came with a word to restore the kingdom to Israel. Not the way that they expected the kingdom, but that's what God commissioned him for. It was prophets. The Lord used prophets. 
Was it inevitable that the church, in the Acts of the Apostle, uh, of the Acts of the Apostles, with the passage of time, would experience the waning of the church to defeat God's purpose in His people? Was it inevitable? Was it inevitable, inevitable that cultural forces or administrative bureaucracy in the churches or technology would become stronger than the Spirit of God in the churches? Was it inevitable that the church should abandon its message of hope for a better day and just wait and hold the fort until Jesus comes. Was it inevitable? I would say that some people, in fact, many, many people, might answer yes to those questions. With the passage of time, things are not what they used to be in the Acts of the Apostles. Some actually teach that. You know, they teach that, that there is a cessation of the ministry of the Apostles. Do they have their vision set on the return of Christ with the rapture whisking away a remnant church from a world that is increasing wickedness in the earth and that they would leave it just to go to hell? <laughs> Let's see, get this on. This is what the Lord says about the situation. He says, the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's what Moses said. And Habakkuk said, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But how can this be? How can this be? The Lord, I want to tell you, is now, now, today, releasing restorers with a word of restoration. It's time to come out of the wilderness and walk into new revelation. Peter said in Acts 3.19, you may never have noticed what he said. And I want you to pick up on verse 20 and 21, where he says, does this work? Does the pointer work? I think it does. No, it doesn't. Verse 20 and 21, that he, the Father, may send Jesus Christ, verse 21, whom heaven must receive until. Just everybody say, receive until. Receive until. Heaven has received Jesus until. The restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. We've got to see that there's more that God wants to restore. We need refreshing. We need revival. But God wants to do more. We need to see more so that we can see where we're going, just like the sons of Issachar. Who knew the times and the season and what the nation ought to do. So I want to talk to prophets today with an apostolic paradigm that will help to restore the glory. It's going to be a major shift. It cannot be business as usual. Yeah, Our experience in, uh, of the prophets in South Africa in the last 36 years 
I remember when Bull Hammond came to Durban in 1983 or 4. Bill Hammond in the U.S. is considered the father of the prophetic movement. I don't know how many of the South African uh, prophets that emerged like Eddie Trout and Kim Clement and all those guys that were triggered by uh, Bill's ministry and the disciples of Bill. I remember Scott Webster, Scott, and I think it was Annie Webster, met them personally, took them to lunch in 84. And we received something of an impartation of prophetic ministry in those conferences. And that sort of spurred us on to the style of prophetic ministry as we see it today, and it's been very effective. And the Company of Prophets is developing the effectiveness of prophetic ministry. And that's the mandate, that's the calling, and I believe that they have got a tremendous contribution to make to the future of the church in South Africa and through prophetic ministry. And you'll see, I want you to see how important prophetic ministry is to the purposes of God in restoration. There is a totally different stream of people that consider themselves prophetic. And it's a whole group of well-publicized, well-televised, well-conferenced, well-written books that consider themselves interpreters of end-time prophecy. But most of them are teachers and theologians that don't have a prophet's anointing. The teacher can't see what a prophet sees. A theologian, since the 1800s, theologians in most of the Western seminaries, outside those that have been Holy Spirit raised up and Holy Spirit filled and Holy Spirit read, the majority of the seminaries, that's why Walter went to Germany, to the heart of early theology, uh, theology in, uh, the, uh, in Europe in the 1700s. He went to the heart of it. And God's given Walter revelation that is radically reforming and restoring. These are the apostolic words that we need to listen to. But the problem with the theologians in the 17th and 18th century, they tried to fight against the awakening of the intellectual resistance of the church and the philosophers, like Bernard Russell. And their arguments against the word and their arguments against Christianity and the, arbitra- the arguments that say that there is no such thing as truth. There's no, there are no arbitrary standards. Because they close their minds like Romans 1 and 2 says, they closed God out of their knowledge. So God gave them over to a reprobate lifestyle resulting in laws passed in Christian nations that we've got that is anti-Christian and is immoral. That's the effect of theologians trying to fight intellectualism in the universities, fighting fire with a worldly fire instead of praying for the power of the Spirit to bring revival, which was left to other people outside of theologians, and they were drawn into holiness in the late 1800s, and then they were drawn into the baptism of the Spirit in the early 1900s. A small section of the church that now plants more churches than all of the other denominations put together. The people that are spirit-led and power empowered by the spirit. But that's the second stream that consider themselves to be prophetic and write what they think are authoritative books. I'll stay off one of my pet subjects about the rapture. Okay. Oh, hallelujah. 
Prophets are important because they're part of the foundation. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Verse 21, in Jesus Christ, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Heaven wants to come down. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Is that me? That's a matter of life. I thought this was a bit near you. <laughs> this new generation of prophets have a vital part to play. They do it by revelation. They do it by lifestyle, by gifting and impartation, by guidance and governance. I'll come back to that. Together with the apostles of the new generation. Chuck Pierce called this house, the Bay City Church, an Elisha house. I love that. Because to me, Elisha is the Old Testament type of the New Testament prophet. And Elisha exercised governance and related to governance and submitted to governance Unlike Elijah, Elijah came out of the wilderness out of, and he brought the word and then he disappeared and left the consequences to the people to bear. Whereas Elisha was in the city with the elders, receiving the word of God with them, speaking it out to them, and the, the uh, political governor came and he, he uh, ridiculed the word of the Lord. And Elisha said, you'll not eat of this. And the stampede happened the next morning when the lepers returned and found that God had sent a junior angel <laughs> to go and destroy the army of the Assyrians. I guess this angel was so enthusiastic, he said, let me do it, let me do it. <laughs> and the lepers went out there and found the camp empty and they just feasted on everything and they said, we better go back and tell the city. And in the stampede, that same political official was trampled to death in the stampede because he didn't believe the word. But that's a type for me. The Elisha is not just a double portion. Actually, the scripture says in the New Testament that the Lord gives the spirit without measure to him that preaches the word of God. Not just double portion. I'm not looking for double portion people. I'm looking for people that will go all the ways in the revelation of the word of God to have the spirit without limit. Those will be the sons of the resurrection. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Apostles and prophets are the foundation and will continue together until the systems of Babylon collapse. They will be there rejoicing at the downfall of Babylon. Amen. Rejoice, O oh, you holy apostles and prophets. God's restoring apostles and prophets, and they're going to be tasked with restoring all things that the other prophets have spoken. Let's see how that works. Who foretold that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years? Can you remember? Jeremiah, a prophet. Who discovered that word? 
and took hold of it and proclaimed it with intercession until it happened. Daniel. Not until it happened. He proclaimed it so it did happen. Daniel, another prophet. Who foretold the scripture, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight, the rough place is plain, the crooked place is straight. Who proclaimed that? Isaiah. Who brought that word into being in the days of Jesus? John the Baptist, another prophet. I want to tell you that the third stream of prophets is going to have an apostolic paradigm that do exactly what John the Baptist did and Daniel did. They're going to see things in the prophecies and the visions that have yet to come to pass before Jesus can return. And all of this nonsense of looking at the, the secular nation of Israel as the marker of when the return of the Lord Jesus is going to happen is going to fall into insignificance. Because there's going to be a born-again, a revival of born-again Israelis that will be equally part of what God wants to do when the church stirs them to jealousy by its glory. Oh, hallelujah. We're at the turning point for revival, but the Lord wants restoration. And we need a new apostolic paradigm. We're going to see apostolic prophets emerge who work with apostles or prophets who receive apostolic mandates and the Lord raises them up from our Lord. I trust that there are people in this room that the Lord's going to use for that calling. The moment you've got a prophetic ministry. But do you know that God can take people with a prophetic ministry like he did in Acts 13 and he can just give them a mandate that becomes an apostolic mandate. They pursue the vision and it becomes an, a, a mandate with authority. The Lord confirming his word with signs following. It's going to happen. Hallelujah. So, the strategy for the end time is look at the vital words that have been overlooked by the theologians and teachers that fill the TV shows. Look at those words. They're not even talking about them. They've missed them. Except for one, perhaps. This is probably one of the most commonly known scriptures, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. With the Dawn 2000 movement in the 1990s, remember that, Dawn 2000, disciple the whole nation. We were modifying with the Lausanne Evangelical Convention. It was reconvened before 1990 to make a strategy for the evangelicals and the Pentecostals to carry the gospel to all unreached people groups. And then that will help the return of Jesus. But there's a difference between the gospel that has been preached and the way that the apostles preached it. How do I know? Paul says, that which Christ has accomplished through me in word and deed to make the nations obedient in mighty signs and wonder by the, wonders by the power of God, I have fully preached the gospel. You haven't fully preached the gospel unless your life matches up to every bit of revelation that the Lord has given you and you're living in it to show other people how to do it and you're having the Lord confirm your authority and the word that you preach with signs and wonders. That's the gospel of the kingdom. 
It's not a theological doctrine that they teach in seminaries. It's actually lived out in the street, in the nations, when you're traveling, and when you're working with a small group of disciples or at a great place where God steps in and heaven comes down. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we go back to this scripture. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who heaven must receive until. He cannot be sent until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. I first heard this message from Bryn Jones in 1982. Bryn Jones was a restorationist. My theology is restoration theology. I'm not looking for reformed theology. I'm not looking just for revival theology. I'm not looking for um, Pentecostal theology because my Pentecostal theology told me to hold on for the rapture. And I was disappointed in 1988 when Jesus didn't come. Because I'd worked out according to Daniel's weeks and to Jesus' words that what, that was the timing. And I've been working, working on it since 1972. 16 years of faith. Got to be careful when Paul warns Timothy and says that in the last days there will be doctrines of demons in the church. What do they do? Their, their only purpose is to just add a little bit of untruth to the lots of truth so that it will divert your faith because your faith can only work by the word of God, not by the word of man. So if man adds his second word to the first word of God, then you don't get faith working. That's why the Berean Christians heard Paul and they went back to the scriptures and they checked it out for themselves and the Holy Spirit said, this is the word. So we need a people like that that are diligent to read their Bible. Because if you don't read the Bible, you'll never see these things. Hallelujah. We're people that read our Bibles. Amen. Amen. We don't just want refreshing, we want revival, but our Lord wants restoration. There are restoration blueprints, blueprints in the New Testament that the Lord has given apostles and prophets for our benefit and for our strategy in these end times. <laughs> I laugh when I hear the intercessors take 2 Corinthians 10.3. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then Paul explains the three or four things that all happen in the minds of people, and the intercessors use the scripture, and I think that according to their faith, they get some breakthroughs in the strongholds of heaven. But when he, Paul talks about strategy, it comes from the Greek word strateia, which is strategy. It's not warfare. The weapons of our warfare should be the weapons of our strategy. And then he explains that the pulling down of strongholds, and we love that because we try and have praise rallies, and we have warfare rallies, and we have people that are pulling down the angels over cities, and then they leave, and next week the angel's back. <laughs> Dark angels. Pulling down the angels of Satan, and the angels come back. And the reason is that Paul's strategy is 
to pull down every wall that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Where does knowledge happen? In the mind, right? And every imagination. Where does imagination? In the mind. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Where do the thoughts happen? In the mind. Paul's doctrine was focused on renewing the minds of the saints with revelation of Christ. And the way that he thought, because uh, Isaiah 54 says that your thoughts are not my thoughts, says the Lord. Because as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours. But the verse before that, actually, he says, Let the wicked man forsake his thoughts, and the unrighteous man his ways, because my thoughts are not your thoughts, unrighteous man. But when you're made righteous in Christ, he gives you the spirit of Christ to renew your mind so that you can have the growing mind of Christ. Amen. So your thoughts become aligned. By the Spirit, because the Spirit knows what the heart of the Lord is thinking. And He helps you in John 16. He helps you by hearing what the Father and the Son are talking about you at the throne. And He takes the things that He's heard there and He brings them to you, John 16. And then He takes the things that belong to Christ and He gives them to you, John 16. The Holy Spirit is the one that does this. The greatest work that the Holy Spirit can do in any one of our lives is to give us revelation. Because the rest... Is just a connection to the raw, unlimited power that the Spirit has available for a heart that is pure and obedient. Yeah. If we get the revelation of what to do, what to say, like Jesus did. Oh, hallelujah. We're talking about a new lifestyle that comes by restoring things. So, there are several words. I want to ask you then, Some of the signposts that are in the New Testament of when Jesus will return. This is one of the things that's got to happen. The gift ministries have got to edify the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There will be a church in every town and city that fulfills this apostolic prophecy. Amen. That's the strategy. The second strategy is, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and I will rebuild its ruins and set it up so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the nations will call by my name, says the Lord. The rebuilding of the tabernacle of David is praise and worship, but it's also the presence of God and governance. The law of the Lord shall go out of Zion. And Hebrews 12, 24 says that Zion is the church. The third thing is the bride is betrothed and is being prepared in the glorious ecclesia. I've chosen the word ecclesia because to use the word church, it means different things to different people. But the word ecclesia can only mean one thing, the called out people of God that are gathered together. We'll see just now whether it's denominations, whether it's free churches or what it is. All right, we'll see. The fourth step is the whole of creation is waiting for the liberty of the sons of God. The creation itself cannot be set free until the sons of God come into who God wants them to be. The fifth one is 
The overcomers will make his enemies to be his footstool. Which is the psalm that is quoted the most in the New Testament? Psalm 110. The Lord Jehovah said to my Lord Adonai, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Talking to Jesus. The Father talking to Jesus, saying, stay here until all the enemies are made your footstool. How's it going to happen? The rod of your strength will go forth out of Zion, the church. The church has got to rise up with overcoming faith and bring the enemies under the dominion of the king and his kingdom. In fact, somebody said that the Jehovah's Witnesses have got a kingdom without a king. They deny Christ. They deny the deity of Christ. The same person said, and most of the church has got a king without a kingdom. I've got several different colored glasses at home and I forgot to bring them. This yellow one changes what I see. It gives me a sort of a jaundiced look. It's a jaundiced view of other churches that have never had the experience of speaking in tongues. And the biggest war was, of course, between the Pentes and the Baptists. In the 70s, we wouldn't even talk to each other. Jews and Samaritans was nothing. Pentecostals and Baptists. Oh, hallelujah. I, I, I can't go through all the colors. I don't want to waste the time. Okay. Who is the bride? Oh, I haven't finished. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. My personal conviction is that the last generation will be so filled with all the fullness of God, they will experience something like the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was full of the life of God, and they'll have Enoch experiences. And they will not die the last enemy. That's my conviction. I'm praying to be part of that. I've got about 30 years left. <laughs> well, it, defi- it depends how fast the revelation works in you unbelievers. <laughs> Who is the bride? I want to talk to you about the bride and the sons. Firstly, uh, the Lord has always talked, that Jehovah, from the early days, has always talked about His people as his wife or his bride. And I want you to understand that the bride in Hebrew culture becomes the bride as soon as she's betrothed, spoken for. As soon as the promise is sealed between the parents, the families, she belongs, she is betrothed to her husband. And then later on is the marriage supper and the marriage consummation. We're in that kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he calls all of us the bride. Well, we'll see who's the bride. I also want to talk about the sons, but I haven't got time to go into the depth of the sons. I'm just going to give you a list of things that you can take home and you can work on and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, okay? But we're going to talk about the bride. Who is the bride? 
a voice came from the throne. Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Doesn't it sound like praise and worship around the throne? Hey? Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage, supper, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made... His wife has made... But it's all grace, brother. Doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how I live, the Lord will always receive me. Yes, for repentance. Because if you don't come with repentance and then faith, then you will be inclined to go back. And if you keep going back, you are trampling the blood of Christ underfoot. Hebrews It's very practical. All right? But the bride makes herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arraigned in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Our righteousness is something that the Lord gives us in our hearts. But our righteous acts have to be seen, and then we can wear the white linen. All right? In preparation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And to her it was granted. And then he said, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The who is the bride? <laughs> so I want to look at who the bride is and how we recognize her. She's the called out one who follows hard after her Lord. We recognize her because of the way that she speaks. Her first language is praise and worship. Oh, hallelujah. It's in the context of worship we saw that scripture. It's in the context of praise and worship that she's brought to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise and worship brings her into heaven now it will bring her into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, hallelujah. She learns this worship language in mutual adoration of her Lord and receives His adoration in return. We'll see that shortly. Through the love language. This is just the praise and worship language. She's just learning about her Lord. It teaches us how to worship and to honor Him uh, the attributes that he has and we learn more about him the more that we read the scriptures and the psalmists are learning about him and they get revelation, they write a song sometimes it's not all balanced in terms of uh, apostolic doctrine but it gives us glimpses of who the Lord is but the wonderful thing is if you start, uh, if you start stepping into the place where you know the Father for who he is and you know the Lord for who he is, and you know the Holy Spirit for who he is. Okay, I won't say anything like that. Okay. Her second language is anointed prophecy. At the end of that, the, the last few verses, 19.10, uh, Revelation 19.10, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see you don't do that. I'm your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There is a dimension of prophetic ministry and of prophecy that must unfold the loveliness, the beauty the awesomeness and the power of Jesus. Yeah. 
and that word will make him manifest. Paul said, he said to the Colossians, I pray, pray for me that the Lord would open a door for the word that I may preach Christ as I ought and make him manifest. That's apostolic ministry. Preaching Christ as we ought and then letting him confirm that word. You'll notice that the word for Jesus is Yeshua. It's actually a combination of all of the words that are the names of Yahweh. It's it means, Yeshua means Jehovah is salvation. And salvation means Je, uh, the Lord is healer. The Lord is provider. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is present. The Lord is near. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my righteousness. The Lord is my sanctification. All of those things wrapped up in the name of Jesus. And he steps onto the scene in the new covenant to create a new generation of people that are born again to have the same combination as he had divine nature in the human nature. The angels wonder at that. When he came to the throne, he came as the high priest to offer his own blood for the sacrifice, as a sacrifice for our sin and for the sins of the whole world from history past to the future. And he offered that blood as an, as an entrance in and he, he prepared the anopium for us through his own blood. The scripture says in Hebrews that he sanctified the heavenly places that need to be sanctified by his own blood. Where Satan had left traces of disobedience and rebellion and sin. Even heaven itself needed to be cleansed with the blood of Christ. Hebrews tells us that. He went and prepared the axis. For you and I, so the Hebrews 10 says, uh, we can go, we can come boldly to the throne of grace upon a new and living way, consecrated for us by the blood of Christ. Remember that? Okay. That was a rabbit trail. <laughs> oh. This is a revelation brought to us by the Spirit. It's not the same as speaking in faith. This it's not the same. This, this, um, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. It's not just the same as speaking in faith um, to proclaim how great he is. And there are people that have got amazing ministries to proclaim how great God is in the reformist theology that is passive and is totally dependent on God arbitrarily making a decision to do a miracle. But the Lord is on the throne waiting for the sons of God to rise up and to speak with authority like he spoke with authority. And to obey the Father the way that he obeyed the Father. And to see the things that the Father showed him that he wants them to do. And he actually said that he wants us to do the greater works. He says, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do. Because I'm going to the Father. So this measure of the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy revealing Christ is going to bring out the anointed testimony of who he is. The Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, now made King and Lord, and we are subjects in his kingdom and backed by his kingdom authority from the throne when we obey. All of heaven follows the words of God spoken in our mouths. Angels listen and obey the word of God in our mouths. So since prophecy is foretelling the mysteries of God, 
We can see that praise and worship is already prophetic, but there's more to it than that. On the day of Pentecost, they went out into the streets and the Lord gave them foreign languages to proclaim the mighty works of God. I think that they were telling the story of the miracles that he did during his life and of the miracle that he did of uh, uh, being crucified and rising again and then spending time with them and... uh, showing himself to them as the resurrected Christ and they went out into the streets and then he came back to them spent 40 days with them remember uh, no he didn't he, when they, when they uh, after Pentecost they, they went out uh, pen, dead, uh, the day of Pentecost was 10 days after ascension sorry got my chronology fi- mixed up there okay that's what happens to preachers when you preach like a steam train you get a little bit ahead of yourself okay this type of prophecy This type of prophecy is is going to reveal the loveliness of Jesus and unlock that upon his ecclesia. It will fulfill the prophecy or the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, O Lord. On the bride. Look at what Jeremiah says, 23.6. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord our righteousness. Ten chapters later he says, this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord our righteousness. No one can reflect the image of the Father like the Son. He that has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. Remember? John 14. No one can reflect the image of the Son like the bride. Because we stand before Him with all of our colored glasses and the blindfolds of the, bl- the veil of the old law removed from our spiritual eyes so that even if we were born spiritually blind, the light of truth by revelation from the Spirit will give us eyes to see that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened that you may know the things that are freely given to you in Christ. That you may know your inheritance. You may know the power of God. And as you receive that, and you stand before him with no veils on your eyes, it's like looking in a mirror, and you start to see the glory of God reflecting in your own face as you are changed by the Spirit into the same image. Worship helps us with that. But so does Bible study. And so does the Holy Spirit opening our eyes and removing the veils. Her third language is the intimate love language with her bridegroom. Look at this. Song of Solomon 6.8. He says, this is the Solomon speaking. He says there are 60 concubines. Sorry, 60 queens, 80 concubines, and virgins without number. Do you see that at the top? 60 queens, 80 concubines, virgins without number. This is what the interpretation is. Six stands for the number of man. Ten is the number of tested and tried. And these represent queens who have no authority unless they are married to the king. So they're actually operating in the authority of the king, but they are not the ones that represent the authority of the Lord. Denominations do not carry the same authority as the bride. Why? Because their man-made structures and order restrict the Holy Spirit, 
of guiding people into experiences in God that are outside of the view of our yellow glasses or our blue glasses or our red glasses. That's the angry revelation, guys, okay? <laughs> Maybe the reds were demonic demon, uh, doctrines of demons, eh? <laughs> the 80 concubines. Speaks, eight is the number of new beginnings. Ten is the number of order or tested and tried. But concubines are not chosen to be married in covenant. These are people that do not have a fulfilled relationship even though they want intimacy with the Lord and they want it to serve for physical satisfaction as a concubine. But I want to tell you that there is a problem. When we are seeking after spiritual experiences in the Holy Spirit and charismatic experiences without any covenant heart relationship with our Lord. And if you're going to have a covenant heart relationship with your Lord, He will bring you into a covenant heart relationship with His Ecclesia. No person can do two-thirds of the New Testament without serving one another in Christ. <laughs> Thirty-nine times the Lord gave the instruction of do this to one another. Talking about community, fellowship. You and I need one another and we need to minister to one another because we all participate in building up the bride. The bride is the ecclesia, the called out ones. There are called out ones in every denomination. There are called out ones that are not in church. But it's God's task to network them together and bring them into a place and it will happen through apostolic and prophetic networks that will respect and honor every group at the place of revelation that they're in and minister love to them and minister truth to them until the Holy Spirit takes them to the next stage where He wants them. That's what, that's what our task is in Company of Prophets. Oh, hallelujah. Some do not want to be changed by his word as disciples. James talks about it as spiritual infidelity. Spiritual infidelity. That means, uh, he, he actually uses the word you adulterous because we're basically running after experiences and we're uh, running after things without submitting to a heart relationship with people that will speak into our lives. Then there's virgins without number. This speaks of the born-again people that have not yet discovered covenant with the Lord. They haven't had intimacy with Him. And the intimacy is not just with the, the fleshly uh, interpretation of consummation of the marriage at the marriage supper. The intimacy starts with a soul tie between the bride and the bridegroom. The soul tie is a link from your heart to your Lord that you can never do without Him. And it comes by intimate commitment. You commit and He commits. And you commit and He commits. And it's done by communication in the place of intimacy. Not just in praise and adoration. Because praise, uh, praise and worship uh, has got different parts with like proclamation, declaration, and worship and thanksgiving. But there's a place for you to be in your own private time of worship where you make commitments and say, Lord, for example, when something troubles you as a sin in your own life, you make a commitment to him to, de uh, to defeat that. I can say this because of my wife knows about this. There was one time 
when I had a PA and she came, she used to work in our house, and I was sitting there and Dawn, I think, was out, and I was working at the, at the table, and she came and showed me some papers, and she just put her hand next to mine, let her finger touch mine and linger. And I looked up, and I could see lust in her eyes. And I moved my hand gently away, and that day I made a commitment to the Lord, which I think is part of the love language we all need. Lord, don't let me do anything that will cause another person to sin. I think that Jesus has got that kind of heart and he's sort of dropped a bit of his heart into me for that. I think that we moved to another house and she worked for me for another year or two. No problems. Why? Because I gently moved away. And the Lord helped me. Hmm? The love language is not just about saying silly words to him. It's getting to know his heart and his mind. There's a new authority to those that draw near. They are near enough to feel his heart beat. To feel his heart. They are near enough and they know him so well that they know his mind. And they sense his emotions so that their heart their will, their mind, their emotions become one with him. Those times of emotion, those times of intimacy where he affects us like that are necessary to bring us into the experience of John 17 where he says, Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. I in you and you in me. That's what we need. The bride seeks that. That kind of intimacy. Oh, hallelujah. What does the bride look like? My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. Believe it in the scriptures. The Lord is looking to take you forward to perfection. Hebrews 6 says it. People write about the foundation principles of the gospel and the doctrine of Christ, and they only count six. There are seven. You know those doctrines, Hebrews 6, not laying again the foundation of the repentance from dead works, one. The foundation of faith towards God, uh, two. Uh, of the doctrine of baptisms, three. The doctrines of laying on of hands, four. The doctrine of, what is it? Resurrection of the dead. The doctrine of um, uh, the eternal judgment, six. The next verse says, but this we will do if God permits. What will we do? Verse one says, let us go on to perfection. That's the seventh principle. And that takes sanctification, it takes intimacy. And it all comes by the Spirit as you give yourself to these things to become part of the bride. And there's an anointing in this place for you to identify the areas that you and I need help with. Because the Lord has revealed it. And it's part of his strategy to prepare the bride. This is where we're going. This is the kind of church that births the sons of God. The kind of church has got that kind of heart 
that is able to raise her sons and the fourth language of the bride is what she teaches the sons she raises. The words of Solomon, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Solomon tells him, as in chapter 4 of Proverbs, where he learnt the wisdom that he wrote about. It came from David and from Bathsheba. She was the one that regulated his life like a governess to raise him in the ways her father had taught her and taught him. That's the language that we speak. We speak a language to raise our kids and to raise our disciples in the ways of the Lord that they can also become part of the bride and become sons that are given authority. Paul uses the title of sons of God and explains that they are those who have the life of God in them, Romans 8.11, who overcome the old flesh nature within them, Romans 8.13, who are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8.14, who have the inner witness that they are the children of God, uh, verse 16 and verse 9, who are receiving the inheritance, verse 17 and Ephesians 1, 11 and 18, who are enduring in suffering with Christ to prepare them for being gloried, glorified with them, with him in verse 17 of Romans 8. And it says that creation is eagerly awaiting the revealing of God's glory through the sons of God, Romans 8, 19. And it says creation is groaning for deliverance from corruption into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. The freedom and the liberty that the sons of God have of moving in absolute surrender and obedience to the word of the Lord and the laws that the kingdom of God works by will bring liberty to the earth. Not just to the nations, but to creation itself. Do we believe that God really is almighty? Do we believe that God is sovereign? Do we believe that he is the God that calls things that are not as though they were? Because they were according to the way he designed them in the beginning and they went wrong. Do we believe that he can restore all things that have been spoken by the prophets? I want to say, I want to submit this to you, that I've just touched in more detail on the one aspect of the bride and it's a strategy that must be fulfilled before Jesus can be released from the throne. We could talk about the other strategies as well, but this is enough. You and I, who are called to a ministry that will change this generation's future, I submit to you that this is a strategy of the apostles that we can start giving our lives for, to build up the believers to become part of the bride. Oh, Lord. Why don't you stand with me? After what I've said, I want you to understand that the bride, the Lord ministers to in Ephesians 5, and he washes her with the, the water of the word to cleanse her, to present her to himself without spot and without wrinkle and without blemish. 
that he might present to himself a glorious church, a glorious ecclesia. With that as a background, restoring the glory first has to come to believers. Restoring the glory has to come to the ecclesia. And it has to come through the ecclesia. <laughs> and the prophets play a major role in that. This is an apostolic word. I would submit to you needs to be an apostolic paradigm in which our prophetic ministry starts to guide and aim and focus to the design that is in the mind of Christ. To, pray, to prepare us for his coming and to hasten the day of his coming. So I want you to read this and understand that in that, that context. When Jesus comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you, who, who, uh, you was believed. Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and you be glorified in him. Oh Lord, I ask you that you will begin to glorify yourself in us and that we'll be so one with you that we will be glorified in you. I want to address something that comes from the story of Esther. Esther was the bride. First, she was just a maidservant. She was an orphan. But the Lord sent Mordecai, her uncle, that raised her. And Mordecai is a type of the Holy Spirit. Esther is the type of the bride of Christ. And Esther had to give up all of her past history, forgetting her family, forgetting her race, and being willing to submit to the call of the king to be prepared as a bride. And immediately she was handed over to the eunuch who was head of the harem. She had to submit to six months of bathing in myrrh. Myrrh is an embalming substance that stops the corruption of dead bodies. Egyptians used to use it for their mummies, but they also used to use it to preserve a body. The message is that the ministry of myrrh is to soak penetrate us that it takes care of all the death and we give ourselves up to the work of the cross of Jesus Christ to transfer us from living in the old nature which must be put to death and then rising into the next six months of her treatment was in fragrant spices and sweet smelling spices to prepare her for intimacy with the king. The interesting thing is she submitted to the authority of the eunuchs. Now, eunuchs are men that were emasculated, castrated. The message is those that minister to the bride must not have relationships with her 
because she's preserved for that kind of intimacy only with the king. So they can only carry out the word of the king so that the real seed of life comes from the king to the bride, not polluted by the eunuchs. There's a risk that in our calling, the Lord releases so much ministry and power and grace that we think more of ourselves than we ought and we can abuse the bride if we're not wise. We have to begin to recognize the people around us as members of the body of Christ and know them not after the fleshly appearance, but get eyes that see after the Spirit. Paul said, from this time on, I don't even want to know Jesus Christ after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I want to know people after the Spirit. We've got to see the Christ in one another and listen for that. And if what's coming out of the people's mouths shows, that it's also always true that their words disclose what's in their hearts. If what's coming out of their mouths show that there is a lack there, then it's our responsibility to minister grace into that situation, to help them move from where they used to be to bring them into more fulfillment in Christ. And that's our task, to minister grace to the bride. I want to ask you to receive this with a new passion for the people that you minister to. I'm going to ask for the love of the Holy Spirit to come. And I want to tell you that the fire of God, if you experience the fire of God, it never comes without a purpose. When the Holy Spirit shows up, He's always there with a purpose. It's not just there for goosebumps or physical sensations so that we can absorb that and dwell in the delight of that without seeking his purpose. Yes. So right now, I once again, I feel that fire anointing on my hands. I've got it. I've got it on my head. I've got it on my hands. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and put it on you. And if you receive that heat, I want to ask the Lord to release a healing anointing through you because sometimes your hands can be used to minister peace and calmness to people that are frantic. That's a form of healing. But there's signs and wonders that must be done. And you and I must recognize that when the anointing comes upon us, it's not just for us to get bold or for us to feel um, the uh, motivation and then we step out in faith because of the feeling. What we've got is we've got something that we need to give to other people. That's why we lay hands on them. The laying on of hands is meant to impart something of the anointing from our spirit to them in their need. And I want you to receive that today. Lord, I want to thank you for your anointing in this place. I know that there's anointing, there is anointing on your word, but you've come with a purpose so that everyone that is hungry to receive, thirsting for the Spirit, hungry for your word, and is willing and obedient can receive these anointings today to be changed forever. I'm asking you to come and put the seal of the Spirit upon them to give them the inner witness that they are part of the ecclesia, the called out ones called into the bride. 
and that you'll draw them into this intimate relationship where they will make their own oath of commitment to marriage with you. I'm asking you, Lord, for this anointing to begin to be a witness to them every time, Holy Spirit, when you want to prepare them to be used. And I thank you for this anointing. I call it down upon your people. I thank you for your angels that work now, that are being awakened right now to the fact that your word is working in these people. That the word that they have heard, the parts of it that the Holy Spirit has anointed to them to receive for them, that those words are preparing them to go out and to use their own hands and their own tongue to release the blessing. And the, uh, the angels are hearkening to the voice of your word in their mouths to confirm your word. I ask you for that, Father. Oh, Father, I thank you. Oh, Father, I thank you. Oh, Father, I thank you. And I just breathe it in. Some of you can feel the fire on your heads. I can feel it. And I can sense that it's almost like a, a cap coming down to my eyes and beyond to my cheeks. I can feel this baptism of fire that is a baptism that equips and equips us for purpose. And that is to be a witness of the resurrection. Because the words of Jesus in Luke 24 are that the sons of God are like the angels for they are the sons of the resurrection. What does that mean? That you and I have been birthed with the life that raised Jesus from the dead and the Holy Spirit has brought the same spirit that is in Christ and put it in you. You are a son of the resurrection with the resurrection life by the Spirit in you that gives life to all your flesh. With that resurrection life, you will be able to fight off diseases as you learn how to do it with the anointing directed. Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to ask the people that have got the prophetic ministries here I want to ask you to come and stand here. Those that in the prophetic groups and with the prophetic team, just come and stand here. And then I want people that want a definite commission to the calling that the Lord has given you. And that means giving you a mandate from this point on, point on to receive anointing every time you step into an opportunity where your gifting can minister to others. I want the... Um, Western Cape Company of Prophets uh, a core group to come and stand here and help us and I want um, Sheldon and uh, is there any other elder here with us? That's it, okay, alright and uh, the team that were with us, please and Joanne, will you come? Oh, you want to play? Okay, thanks sis. Okay we're going to ask you just to come up if you feel that desire to be called Jane, won't you come and help us? Jane, won't you come and help us? And Zita, won't you come and help us? And I think um, uh, Steve and Venetia, come and help us. Kieran, can you come and help us? You can stand in a row over here, and I just want you guys, 
that want a confirmation of the Spirit, an impartation of the Spirit. If you can feel the fire of God on you, we want to release and mandate. And we don't know it exactly what it is, and we don't know what's going to happen now. But I want to tell you that if the Holy Spirit gives a word to any of these people for you, they're going to share it. But the purpose of this is to bless what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now. Zeta, do you want to come? This is, come, come, you can't. You can, you can impart the anointing. <laughs> She's got the gifts of healings. And, and who else? Oh, Charlene, I missed you. Come over this side. We need more people this side. Come, Charlene. These are the people that are part of our group, uh, the prophetic group in the Bay, and um, and Mark and Margie and uh, Mickey and Judy and Joanne are part of our core group uh, for the Western Cape Company of Prophets. And you already know who the team is from Johannesburg. So I want you to come. And just come forward. If you can sense the Holy Spirit is on you, we want to bless what the Holy Spirit is doing. And there may be greater things that he will release in your life. Okay. Thanks, Joe. You can just minister to us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So I'm just waiting for you, if you want to come forward and have the Lord just seal something in you. Thank you, Lord.
Can you hear me? Okay, we're going to give you a five-minute opportunity for a comfort break, and then we're going to come back and we'll finish with a, an amazing time of prophetic worship and release of what the Lord wants through prophetic worship for anybody that uh, he wants to use here uh, with, from the team. Okay, so five minutes. You can take a break, go and get a drink of water, go to the loo, whatever, and um, we'll be back. It's now... Let's say we'll be back at 10 to 4 to start. Thank you. At seven minutes, yeah.
um, we'd just like to ask you to return your name tags into the baskets on the front. You can just put the name tags in there when you get a chance. And we'd like to invite you also to give us a free will offering. We've just, I've just asked the guys to give me the budget. We're, we're nearly on budget, but I think that we'd like to encourage you to participate in just a free will offering so we can bless our guests that came and bless them with an, uh, bless them with an honorarium um, that would uh, be a blessing to them. as well. okay. So just any time during the worship, you don't have to do it right now. Just feel free because we're going to hand over to the guys and let them go for it and lead and let Paul do his thing. Okay. Whatever that is, that's <clears throat> oh, fine, yeah. So come and guess the blesses. I mean... Yeah, I'm going to sing now. We're trying to empty the building. <laughs> <laughs> Taff says, thank goodness the power's going off, but I'll use it all while I have it. <laughs> Is it? Is it going to go off? Well, they said. They said, whoever they are. That's fine. Well, we just go on without. With or without. Why is it so busy? It feels like a shopping mall. It's gonna <laughs> trying to look what I can sell. <laughs> How much do you want for this pulpit? <laughs> I'm gonna auction it. Oh, I've got a thousand rand, thousand rand. Remember, I'm agricultural guy. Look at it like you look at a nice fat cow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, well, if you don't like me, it's fine <laughs> I don't know They're going to switch off the power no, we're gonna we're gonna turn it around a little bit. It just helps sometimes. Would you like to sit on your chair, please? Fine, not fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes with the prophetic, uh, there's there's an area that I call impartation, which needs very little, few words, a lot more power. It's not only in word, but also in power. And I like what Tony said, because I've always found that the power ministry um, moving in power establishes things that take years in the natural to do. <clears throat> we ministered uh, in, that's Andre and myself and Anita ministered in, in uh, I don't know what that country's name is, Brazil. Um, <laughs> For many, many times, many years, and we saw some amazing things, crazy things happen there. Crazy things like people just um, delivered from drug addiction in crazy meetings 